Ooh, it is another one of those days where, wow, what do I have to do today? Let's see. Brian, you're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to talk about some Star Trek for a little while. Oh, man. Uh, really, I mean, that's torturous. It's torture. Why the hell, who would do that to anybody? Like, really? Why would you say, hey, no, you need to sit down and, and talk about Star Trek? Oh, kidding, of course. <laughs> the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu. Here with you, the Rated R Radio Star. That's always my favorite one, actually. Uh, <laughs> for uh, Well, this is something that uh, I, I said we would be doing throughout the month of May, which is uh, a series of Sovereign Top 8s. We did the first one, which was the uh, Top 8 spaceships of all time. Then we did the Top 8 starfighters of all time. And then I said we would have to do Star Wars and Star Trek as their own episodes, their own top eights as far as vessels go. And this has been a lot of fun. People have enjoyed these. Uh, and so we're doing our Star Trek, uh, Star Trek ships top eight. And this could include shuttles. It can include all that stuff, you know, any, any ship within uh, the Star Trek franchise. And then we'll do the Star Wars one. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, like the Star Wars one I'm doing last because who knows? I might see, I might watch, you know, Solo a Star Wars story and say, holy shit, that's the coolest ship I've ever seen. Whatever happens to be in that movie. And I have the technical guides that I pre-ordered and they're arriving on the 25th anyway. Uh, so, you know, that'll be it'll be good to, to be like really up to date on the latest movie as far as ships uh, available for for Star Wars, even though my Star Wars top eight, I could rattle it off pretty fast at least the one right now and it's a hard hard pick or uh, i mean it's it's a hard it's a tall order that's what i want to say not a hard pick it's a tall order that something in a new movie could somehow bust into that top eight because man my top eight hasn't changed much in a long time Uh, in fact i'll give you a little preview what's number one i'll tell you what number one is and most people that know me could probably guess and it is canon once again thankfully um but my number one pick is going to be the TIE Defender. I just love that fucking ship. That That is, I mean, that's the ship of dreams when it comes to Star Wars for me. So, but, uh, but admittedly, some stuff from Rogue One broke into my top eight. So anyway, but we're not here to talk about Star Wars. We're here to talk about Star Trek this time around. And so we're going to break into uh, the top eight. In fact, I'm also going to be giving you, um, I asked uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the boss, I asked her, hey, you know, what's your favorite ship like in, in Star Trek? Uh, and I also asked, of course, the inimitable Ellen Stallone, asked her, you know, what she thought. And so I'll be giving those to you at the end. Um, I'm not exactly this, this, like a lot of top eights, there won't exactly be like a number one. Like, I don't know that I have like a full on number one, like that, that there is that that's just the best ever or something. Um, there might be one ship in here that I maybe would claim to be my number one, but really these are just my, my eight favorite and they're all for varying reasons. So, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to even like rank them within themselves. Okay. Uh, but anyway, why waste time? You know, the score, you know how these work. Let's get into it. Let's start talking about them and we'll open up with the first one, uh, which is actually the most, honestly, the most futuristic of the bunch. In fact, I look to my right and there's a little model of one of these guys. And that is the Wells class, uh, vessels. Now, a lot of times I'll just bring up the class, I'm not necessarily going to mention the ship unless it's really important. And sometimes it is important. So I will say when it's specifically the ship, Um, but the Wells class we experienced, um, these are 29th century ships. I mean, that futuristic, uh, we experienced them through Star Trek Voyager 
and particularly the USS Relativity, uh, which is a great name. So, And I love the idea of the Wells class, obviously named after H.G. Wells. Um, but the name of the episode from Voyager is also Relativity. It had to do with the character of Captain Braxton and all this, which that's kind of a became a thread uh, throughout throughout Star Trek Voyager. Um, but I love the Wells class ships. They look so fucking di- they're Federation ships. They're Starfleet ships. They are so different uh, in in design and look. They look like an arrow. Like I mean, they really like they really literally look like an arrowhead or like almost like a spearhead or something. They don't have the the saucer section. They don't even have the like what looks like warp nacelles at all. It has none of that. This is a very unique ship for uh, for Starfleet. Like I mean, it's a wholly new design, and I think it's really fucking cool. I mean, I, I think it's damn cool, and it's not even like. So a ship that could have made this list, even though it really shouldn't, because a we don't know if it's really canon, um, or b whether it, um, yeah. Well, I guess the canon part is, is the big question, even though it is in an episode. But whether it was actually like a real ship, or it was just some kind of flight of fancy that uh, Daniels showed off to to Captain Archer. Uh, but there was the Enterprise J, which I think is from the 26th century. In fact, I can look over and there's a model of the Enterprise J too, right on uh, in the BDSM studios here. Uh, but anyway, like that ship looked while that's very futuristic and it looks futuristic. If you had the Star Trek, uh, the next generation technical manual from the 90s. At the end of that book, they talked about the Enterprise E, and they were talking about the Nova class and that there was a bunch of different designs for the Nova class. One of the designs for the Nova class from like 1990, we're talking like 1991 or 92 when that book came out. Uh, one, of, one of the designs for the Nova class looks exactly like the Enterprise J. So it still looks like a Starfleet ship, right? And it's still an idea that had kind of been around, even though Doug Drexler, when he said that he designed the Enterprise J, um, it didn't, he didn't like he said he wasn't inspired by that little enterprise E design, which those, those ship designs would get used later on. Like an actual Nova class would come out that looked like one of those. But anyway, um, this, you know, the, the USS relativity or the Wells class vessels just look wildly different from anything that Starfleet has pretty much ever had. I mean, wildly different. And they're very, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're very sharp. Like, I, I, it's a gorgeous ship. Has that really cool, it looks like it looks like those Oakley Windbreakers from the 90s, you know, where it has the kind of the holographic, um, like the multicolor design, uh, you know, going along it, even though it's, it's kind of a purple. Um, and, and these are really obviously very powerful ships. But one thing that's interesting about them, and I didn't know about this until I actually got the model of it, uh, but these are very small ships. I think there is something like 186 meters, which I think makes it like puts it on par with like the NX class, like the NX zero one enterprise uh, smaller than Voyager. I think um, if I'm, if I remember correctly, I mean, these are tiny, it's certainly sm- smaller than the constitution class. These are tiny, tiny ships, uh, which is kind of cool. And like, if you look them up online, there's a lot of artwork for them. And usually they have them moving in like fleet action and they just look badass. I, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. They really are badass. So, but they are time ships as well. That's why they have the names Wells class and obviously USS relativity in reference to the theory of relativity. Um, they are time ships that themselves can travel through time, you know, can go back, backward and forward in time. But they also have uh, temporal transporters on board, which allows them to just beam people back into time. They don't have to actually send the whole ship back into time. It does have a sensor suite that allows for monitoring of different points within the space-time continuum and all that, uh, which is really interesting. has one major forward uh, uh, disruptor, not even phaser, disruptor, uh, that 
I mean, that's part of what gives it its pointed its pointedness. And I think that's pretty cool because that reminds me of uh, the the future uh, from All Good Things, the futuristic or the future Enterprise D, where it has that one big gun underneath, uh, and and also that's the same design that ended up getting used for um, the IDW comic book series from the Mirror Universe for the Next Generation, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation Mirror Broken. Uh, so yeah, the relativity. I mean, really cool. And I also the other thing I love about the relativity. I love the Starfleet uniforms from the 29th century, but I love the controls. I've talked about these controls many times. The controls, it looks like L cars, right? Except they, they give it a different name, like TL cars or something like that. It looks like the L cars design that you're used to on, you know, say like a galaxy class ship or something from Voyager or DS nine. But the controls themselves are, are operated with circular motions, almost like if you were handling an iPod, like a, like a classic iPod, an iPod classic where it has a circular motion. And I think that that looks so slick. And for what they're doing, granted, it's what you would call cinemagenic, where it looks good on screen and, you know, and it it functions as it should based upon what the storyline needs. But I think I say this a lot. We're missing something by getting away from those kinds of controls where everything's just a touchpad and and, and you get away from those kinds of motions. I think that that's really, really interesting stuff. Uh, So I love the controls. There's there's, there's just not a part of the Wells class that I don't love. I mean, right down to the, the, the... you know, right down to the control uh, scheme inside the ship. Uh, really, really cool. And it has, I've, I'm trying to think exactly what they called them because they're not, they're not holodecks. Like they have whole, I mean, they have literal entire decks that, um, you know, that, that are, that are like a holodeck, but I mean, they're just, they're massive. Uh, but anyway, I think that that's, that's really cool. Uh, you know, that, that it has, Oh, the hollow matrix, that's what they're called. Uh, which is their version of a holodeck and obviously far more advanced. So really cool ship, particularly because of how advanced it is. No doubt about that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's the Wells class started off with that. Let's go on to the next one. And of course, from that was from the 29th century, but now let's go way back into the past. Like how about the 22nd century? Uh, and I got to go with the NX class, uh, the NX class. I remember when TV guide, so this would have been 2001, something like that when enterprise was being announced as the new star trek show okay star trek enterprise and tv guide got the first look and they even made it a little like pull out poster that you could tear and pull it out of the nx01 and what it would look like everybody was really excited about this star trek because it was supposed to be star trek that was different and it was a prequel show before prequel shows were a big deal before prequel movies and things like that other than star wars uh were were something and I mean, there was so much excitement about around Enterprise. You you got to understand. <laughs> I mean, it was really, really something. Um, and the the ship, I just thought it was like, wow, that looks so cool. Now it does look similar to is it the Akira class or it's like the Steamrunner class upside down. Uh, so there have been ships that look similar to it in the past, but the way that it that it came out and just kind of the simple design, even though you saw the cues of what would later be Starfleet ships, um, I love it. And and I love the interior design, just like I loved with the Wells class is really slick. I like that insight where it feels more like a submarine. Um, you know, I like that within within the NX class. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful ships, you know, and. Whenever it would go into battle, not that I cared so much for season three, uh, you know, which was the entire Expanse storyline with the the Zindi War. Um, whenever it would go into battle, like the way it would move and and that it could flip and everything, I mean, it, it had it had a really good looking design as to where. 
the Galaxy class and things like that never looked so maneuverable. This thing looked like it could go kick some ass in a way. You know, like the, the way that it could move, how quickly it could move, how it could turn and all that. Or even, you know, another awesome moment was when they were, I think it was the, the NX-01 Enterprise and the NX-02 Columbia. They had to join the ships. I'm trying to remember what exactly the reason was. And so they just like flew, like one was flying upside down, even though in space there's no upside down. One was, one was you know, cruising upside down. The other was cruising right side up. And I don't know, it just looked cool, like the way that these ships could could intermingle. And that was another nice thing, too. Like, I like how the how the NX-01 had a grappling hook instead of a um, instead of a tractor beam uh, and how it had like actual ports that could dock with things. You know, I mean, like there, there was it was really cool to see kind of the progenitor technologies to everything that would just end up getting done with a force field of some kind later on. Right. Uh, it did get the phasers too early. And people, you know, like Scott Bakula and people that were actually a part of the show admitted that, that like they, they came up with some advanced technologies way too quick. Uh, but that was cool, you know, and it didn't have shields. They had to polarize the hull plating, right? Um, you know, a lot of that, the antiquatedness to it gave it a certain charm that I really liked. Now, the thing I actually like better, and apparently this was part of its design, was supposedly... When if they were going to get a, if Enterprise was going to get a season five, they would have a, did he done a refit of the NX zero one to where it looked a little or maybe significantly different. Uh, actually, I can say it looks significantly different, kind of like how, you know, you have the Constitution class in the original series and then you get that major refit that you end up with in Star Trek, the motion picture that most people you know remember the Enterprise as. And this, I actually, I, it, not unironically, just about everything on this list, I have a, I, <laughs> I have some kind of um, model of, okay. But I have it. Doug Drexler, he finished the design for, I think they called it the Columbia class refit, was what they ended up calling it uh, for when they would do the refit for the NX01. And in fact, in the novelizations from Simon and Schuster for, uh, for Enterprise that are still running, that are that have taken place after the end of the show, uh, the they have refitted the Enterprise to where what it now has it now has a secondary hull, where you know that that tubular thing at the or you know the tubular shape at the bottom of say like a Constitution class ship. Now it has one of those. It's not just flat anymore with just the saucer section and the two uh, engines hanging off the back. It's now it has an actual secondary hull and it looks so cool. You got to check it out. Maybe I'll put it in for the artwork for the show here. Uh, but I think that's beautiful. And Doug Drexler, the designer, he he pretty much said that that was always set always in mind that eventually they would keep adding on parts to the Enterprise to where it would start looking more to the NX-01 to where it would start looking more and more like the ships that you would know more, say, in the 23rd century. Uh, I I think that might be if if the the Columbia class refit of the NX-01, if that were canon, um, and if that were like, you know, used on screen and all that, like I, I would I would dare say that that's actually the most beautiful version of the Enterprise out there. Like it looks that good and it seems right. It's amazing when you add that secondary hall, just how right it looks. You know, and, and so I don't think Doug Drexler is bullshitting when he said, no, this was always the idea was to eventually get it to that point. Uh, and yeah, damn, does it work? I, I really I really think it does. So, yeah, the uh, the NX class and its Columbia class refit. Uh, that's that's uh, we'll, we'll say number two on our list here. Uh, so we we're two down. Let's go to number three. Number three. OK, this <laughs> this. 
Now, there's a couple different names for this thing. Sometimes, like, say, if you get the model or whatever, it's called the Bajoran Solar Sailor. Uh, I think technically in the show, and if you look for it in Encyclopedia and other areas, it's called the Bajoran Lightship. This thing is stunning. Uh, Ellen actually reminded me when we were going to do our, uh, when we did a Star Trek update, I think in March, and we were doing the top eight, uh, it ended up being top three, actually, top three Deep Space Nine episodes. Uh, She reminded, when we were having lunch, she reminded me of this of this episode, the episode called Explorers from D Space Nine, where Jake Sisko and Ben and, you know, Commander Captain Ben Ben Sisko, uh, you know, he builds Sisko builds this. He rebuilds this ancient like Bajoran style ship called a light ship, which has these huge solar sailors and, you know, is is effectively like a clipper ship for for the stars. Like that's that's the basic idea of it. And it's I mean, a lot of it is literally made out of wood. I mean, there's all these it's, it's really interesting. Um, and the whole episode is him, you know, just going on his journey with his son, you know, to, to do something fun and, and trying out this light ship. And it's it's so cool when it opens up. It's gorgeous. And I've talked about it before in previous episodes. But like I the romanticism, it, this is a very romantic vessel. You know, it's one deck. Uh, and there's no, it's all mechanical. Like it's all mechanical. There's no real computer on it. They use like, you know, kind of these old, uh, uh, almost like sextants and everything to be able to, you know, navigate the stars and all that using old, old star maps, like literal physical maps that you roll out and all the shit. I mean, I, I just love that. And the fact that it's a spaceship now, it's really cool is that in the episode, they claim the Bajorans had these in the 16th century. You know, our time in the 16th century. And, uh, of course, you find out in the episode Explorers that uh, they actually made it as far as a Bajoran lightship had made it as far as Cardassia, uh, which the Cardassians finally admitted since since Cisco ended up making it to Cardassia pretty much with the Bajor- with his Bajoran lightship, even though it was an accident. And that's the thing is that you find out that with like a, if if a Bajoran lightship, because they're not warp capable vessels. OK, but if a Bajoran lightship encountered a tachyon eddies it could actually achieve warp drive and it could survive the journey of of going at at a certain you know i don't know about high warp but a certain warp speed so again that's really cool i just i love the idea you know no computers none of that horseshit you're just you're going out into space and you know you you're you're powered by the sun or you know by the stars i should say not the sun you're powered by the stars and and away you go, you know, and everything's just really basic. And I, I think it's very romantic. I love that ship to death. It's such a gorgeous design. In fact, even the guys that designed it and, and a lot of the writers for the show said, man, how can we figure out how to use this thing again? Because they loved it, too. I mean, it's it's a stunning design. Um, it could easily it. I mean, honestly, it could take my number one spot uh, as far as ships go. Like if I were to really create a number one Um because, yeah, I mean, it, it's totally, totally memorable. Even if you've only seen, like, the episode once. Like, I'm sure Alan only saw the episode once. And, and like, it just sticks in your mind because it is so stunning to look at. Uh, and I have a little model of it behind me. And, I mean, it, it, it's beautiful. So, but, all right, well, let's move on to the next ship. And as far as uh, being number one, well, this is the one that if I really had to pare down, I'd probably end up saying is uh, the number one. And that would be, well... You guessed it, the Constitution class, okay, and particularly, of course, the Enterprise, but the Constitution class, and more specifically, I think even its refit. Like, I love, I think I talked about this, did I, I think I talked about this in episode 278, the prime episode 278 of Sovereign Tech, 
where I said, like, there's the scene in the motion picture where they're doing like kind of this beauty pass. Okay. Of where it's like six minutes long where Scotty's has Kirk in a shuttle and they're going around the, the refitted enterprise. Okay. And since NCC one seven one, they're, they're flying around it. Like I cry when I see that because it's just so beautiful. It's so stunning. It's such a glorious shot. Um, I love that ship. Like I, you know, and it's the same design that would end up being used for obviously the NCC one seven Oh one a, um, but yeah, the constitution class and particularly it's refit just stunning, just so, so gorgeous. And I think it sticks in your mind because, well, the battle with Khan is legendary, but more so because it, it looked, you know, it took Star Trek from the original series, you know, it took it from the cheesiness, cheesy effects of the original series. Of course, now you watch them and they have enhanced effects and the original constitution class looks great. But it took you from that to something that looks so real. And so I think it just becomes it just sticks in your mind as, OK, no, that looks real. That looks like that could be out there in space. That's awesome. And, and it, it really again, it just sticks with you. And it does have that just that classic Starfleet design that everything else, you know, we, we kind of imagine every other ship is based upon. Um, so, yeah, so the refitted uh, Constitution class, particularly, even though the original Constitution class, I love that, too. Uh, Got to give that got to give that you know if again it's number four that i've that we've covered so far but if i had to choose a number one it would probably be that it's just so beautiful if i was just basing it upon class and not basing it upon it being the enterprise right um but you know especially like in star trek six like the design language inside the ship is really beautiful i love all the colors and everything um and the schematics and, and all that i mean it's it's great even though i like the bridge as well in star trek the motion picture and star trek 2 uh and star trek 3 um i love that i i mean and, and that's another thing too star trek 3 is like such a badass adventure with the constitution class that, that makes it stick out in your mind um as well so anyway there's our number four uh let's go to a number five here and this is a ship that, well, I'll explain why, why this is in my top eight. It's the Burrell-class Bird of Prey. Now, the Burrell-class Bird of Prey is the smaller Bird of Prey, also from Star Trek III, uh, but would be used endlessly in, in other Star Trek properties. Uh, the Burrell-class Bird of Prey, yeah, again, really tiny, usually only has a 12 to 14-person crew. It's what was used in Star Trek IV as well. Um, what I love about it is... And in fact, in D Space Nine, you you know, like Gul Dukat actually does end up doing this. It, it's like it, it just seems to be the workhorse of the galaxy. Like if you have like a rebel party, not even Klingons. I mean, it's a Klingon ship. OK, but even if you're not Klingons, like usually it, it seems like people can buy a bird of prey if they want. And it has a cloaking device and all that. And the wings, you know, the way that the wings move on it uh, are those are so cool. And you have, you know, the uh, uh, the blasters mount or not blasters, the disruptors, I guess, mounted on on the ends of each of them. Um, and then you have that main, that long forward neck. It's such a cool, very unique design. It's such a cool looking ship. I mean, it instantly sticks out in your mind. Um, but I love the kind of mercenary attitude of it that, or the rebellious attitude of it. Like not just Klingons would have it. Anybody could have one of these and you have yourself a fairly powerful ship, you know, with a cloaking device and all, and all the rest of it. And growing up when I would write a lot of fan fiction for Star Trek, um, I would use a bird of prey a lot as like the vessel for, say, a renegade crew that I created or something. 
And so, yeah, the, the Burrell class bird of prey always tops. I mean, that that's an easy one to top anybody's list because it is. And it's so uniquely Star Trek, right? Like when you think Star Wars, you think, you know, TIE fighters and X-Wings, right? Uh, bird of preys are comparable to that where you just instantly know that Star Trek. Um, I did like also side note. I really liked the bird of prey from Enterprise that the augments used. I thought that was a really, really fun little design. And I li- I really liked the bird of prey from Star Trek Into Darkness that that almost looked like it was like a winged beetle more than it was uh, a bird, um, like it had the, had the back part that almost looked like a yellow jacket that could kind of curl up and everything. I have a model of that actually, um, just above me here. But I, I love I think they called it like the D four or something the D four bird of prey. Uh, I I thought that was a really cool design too. Birds of prey are I mean the bird of prey even the Romulan one's cool. But the bird of prey I mean instantaneously recognizable design. Even the Cavort class is fine, which is the much larger version that's like the size of a Galaxy class ship. Um, yeah, I mean there's no way it couldn't make this list. So all right, let's go on to uh, number six. And number six, here's where we're gonna. Well, we won't. We got one that that might not surprise, but here's where we're going to get into a couple of oddities. Uh, Number six, I am actually going to give to the Valkyrie class fighter. Now, this is what the hell's that? This is a Starfleet ship um, that was from a game. And so not exactly canon. Um, Not that that would stop me from putting something on this list because there's something else on here that isn't exactly canon. But this is from the game Star Trek Invasion. Uh, which came out uh, for PlayStation and PlayStation only in uh, 2000, in the year 2000. In the year 2000! Right. (laughs) Uh, But Star Trek Invasion was made by uh, Warthog Games, the the game itself, which those are the people behind uh, what I consider one of the greatest, gayest, gay's good, uh, one of the greatest game trilogies of all time, that being Colony Wars. Uh, They made that, which they are flight space simulator games, um, and this Star Trek Invasion was a space simulator game where you had uh, you, you were in little like one or two person uh, fighter vessels that you use. So it played kind of like Colony Wars or like a TIE Fighter, like Star Wars TIE Fighter or X-Wing or, you know, things like this. A lot of you're like free space or wing commander, but it was a Star Trek version of it. And so they had to come out with their own little ship uh, for that. And so they ended up creating what's called the Valkyrie class. Now, within that, you have like four different types. There's the type one Valkyrie, type two, type three. And then there's also the type three A uh, and the type threes end up looking very, very different than the the original type one. I think the type one looks really cool. It looks a lot like. Uh, it looks a lot like Nova Squad, or what is it? Not Nova Squad. Was it Red Red Squadron from uh from the Academy at Starfleet Academy, where they had those ships that Wesley was a part of, and they did that burst, whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, you you know the episode I'm talking about. Look kind of like that, and it's you know it's a one person. I think one of the models might be like a two seater, but really really slick looking design. And they would end up having you know various weapon systems on them, like Type Ten phasers and everything. And they'd have little shields, a nose mounted Type Nine. I mean, they have all these different abilities. They were really cool, but you never really had other than I can think of maybe like 20, 30 years ago, like in Diane Dwayne's uh, Star Trek books, um, like Dreadnought, right, where you did have what is effectively a Starfleet fighter, starfighter. You never really got that in Star Trek. And so it was really cool to finally have it. And I thought that it worked. I mean, I get it. The only reason they came up with them is because it fit in with the space simulator gaming genre. Okay. But 
I'm glad that they did it. I thought it turned out cool. I even liked there was the what is it called the the Typhon, uh, the USS Typhon was the ship that um, that you like uh, Worf was in command of, and that launched all of the Valkyrie fighters from it. And the Typhon class, like Picard talks about it in the beginning of the game, you know, he calls it a mobile outpost and carrier starship. Like I thought that was a really cool idea where it's a starship that effectively would stop somewhere and almost act like a space station and just kind of sit there. You know, it wasn't meant to be highly maneuverable and it used the Valkyrie class as its main, uh, you know, attack form. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really like, you know, I wish... I mean, they've kind of hinted at it at other points, you know, and like the Romulans have a scorpion, which are like starfighters, effectively. You know, there's been hints of starfighters within Star Trek itself, but this is definitely the most fleshed out. And of course, you get to pilot them yourself. So how could you not love it? Um, yeah. So I really, really like the Valkyrie class fighter. Uh, the type one, as far as design, but as far as ability, I mean, obviously the type three A, you know, the more advanced it gets, the better. Uh, but the type one, I think, had the best look, uh, in my opinion. The type three looked weird. The type three almost looked like gem had like a gem had our ship, uh, which that was a cool design too, kind of that beetle design. I did like that. So all right, let's go on to uh, number seven here, and this is the Danube class runabout. Of course, these were made famous on uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Would also end up getting used after from season six onward in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, these are the literal workhorses of Starfleet. They are Starfleet's effectively they are Starfleet's bird of prey, and I think that's unconsciously why I've always really liked them. Uh, you know, they're modular. You can put in different modules into them to do different things. Like when you see them on the next generation, they have like really impressive dining and living quarters in the back end of them as to where on D space nine, maybe they'd have more scientific equipment in the back of them or whatever. Um, I, I love these things because you know, they're not full on starships. It's a very small crew. It's another ship that honestly, in a lot of fan fiction that I would write, I would use. And part of it was because I didn't have to write effectively you know 100 to 200 uh you know characters within it okay or, or 400 characters like i didn't have to imagine that there was this massive crew and it's a lot easier when you make your world kind of smaller in this way i mean you can have a gigantic galaxy but when you have a smaller world that you're interplaying in like on the bridge or in the back of a runabout um it'll it, it's great for a writer so i loved it for that reason but also i just thought that they were really cool and when in d space nine when you'd see them flying in formation and and you know One's picking one runabouts, picking up another runabout and all that. I, I don't know. I, I think they're they're such cool looking uh, ships. And in fact, I also liked what people kind of consider the, the progenitor to the runabout, which is the Sydney class, which if you read Star Trek Forbidden Frontiers, if you read the short fiction that I've been releasing for that, um, that has so far or one of the main ship within that has been a little uh, Sydney class which was made popular in the um, the episode Relics that Scotty came from with the USS Janolan. You'd also end up seeing the Sydney class in Deep Space Nine. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like a proto runabout. So I love, I love that idea of the smaller ship within uh, Star Trek and within Starfleet itself, where, you know, it's a, it's a much smaller crew, you know, maybe single digits to double to, to few double digits. Uh, and, you know, but they're, they're fairly powerful and fast. Like the Sydney class, uh, I remember in the episode Relics, it was really cool because Jordy says, he says, man, he says, at, at imp or he doesn't say man, but he says, at impulse power, this thing could give a galaxy class a run for its money. Like it could outmaneuver it in a heartbeat. And I, I, lo I love that kind of idea, you know, almost like that hot rod mentality that you could get with these kinds of things. Um, I really dig that. 
So, yeah, number seven, got to give it to the runabout. Uh, Such a classic design now. And also what's nice about it, it was a design that didn't follow much like the Valkyrie as well, frankly, uh, the Valkyrie class fighters. They're designs that don't follow the Federation design language. You know, I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like a shuttle, but it's supposed to be more or less a starship. It has its own registry number um, and it but it doesn't have the you know, I like the saucer section fine, but I also like a lot of variety. And so it's cool to, to see that you know, that kind of variety, just like it's one of the reasons I really love all of the Vulcan ships that you eventually end up seeing thanks to enterprise, um, uh, you know, and so on because of those where it's like, you know, the warp engine is this circle, you know, that, that pretty much sits within something. I mean, it almost looks like a penis in a vagina. Like that's the way that the Vulcan ships look like, which I think, I think there's something to that. I think that's interesting that it has almost like a sexual motif because I think Vulcans are inherently actually very sexual, um, and that's been hinted at in expanded media uh, or mediums within Star Trek. And yeah, like like I'm thinking, of, well, never mind, I won't go there. But <laughs> Vulcan love slave, baby. Woo. <laughs> so so I, I've always liked that. Uh, the Vulcan ships could have made, you know, any of them, because there's a few different designs that we have now, uh, could have made this list uh, pretty easily because they do have such a unique look uh, and logical look because they're cylindrical which is the best kind of shape that you want going into, uh, you know, for a ship to go into space. So you don't want like a UFO. You don't want it circular. You actually want it to be a cylinder. But anyway, let's move on to, uh, and then we'll get into the ladies' picks here. Uh, Let's go on to number eight, which is the last from my list. Uh, And this is one I've talked about a few times at various points. So this is non-canon. I mean, the the class is canon, but the ship itself is non-canon. And this is going to be the time where I'm actually going to pick a specific ship. Um, This is from the book by William Shatner. It was a sequel to the wildly popular Ashes of Eden. Okay, Uh, the book was called The Return, which takes place directly after Star Trek Generations. And what happens is you find out Kirk gets captured by the Borg and he gets reanimated by the Borg and he's alive. And throughout the bulk of the uh, William Shatner Star Trek books, it is like a whole series that people call the Shatnerverse, where it is Kirk in the 24th century. Um, and, and they're, they're just some of the best, if not the best Star Trek books ever written. I love them to death. Uh, the return is definitely, I think the best ashes of Eden and the return are the best of the bunch. Um, but the return is really cool for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of amazing moments in that, all of which I can't cover here, but the, there's a defiant class ship in, in the return that ends up getting not commandeered, but ends up getting repurposed to go on a specific mission with the crew of the next generation to effectively find Kirk. Um, and it ends up being captained by ambassador Spock, which that is so cool. Uh, you know, again, we're talking about defiant class here. This 24th century. So, but the interesting thing is that the point that they make in the book is that you can't only the USS defiant. Okay. The, you know, the, the, the NX, what is it, 74656, or wait, no, that's, that's Voyager, sorry. Anyway, you know, the, the Defiant from DS9, that's the only ship of the Defiant class that can actually have a cloaking device. That's the claim, right? And that was originally supposed to be a thing in Star Trek, even though I think they kind of they kind of worked around that eventually because you're supposed to have that Romulan officer on board the ship all the time, which I thought they dropped the ball and not having her there. But anyway, so other Defiant class ships couldn't have cloaking devices, but... 
you know, Starfleet still wanted them to be very stealthy, you know, heavily armed and over and, and, and underpowered <laughs> uh, vessels, which is one of the reasons I like the Defiant class, because talk about that hot rotting attitude. Um, the Defiant class definitely has that where it's this little ship with just, you know, the power of a ship, you know, 10 times its size, uh, which I think is really cool. But the so specifically the Defiant class in the return was called the USS Monitor. That was obviously named after the Monitor and the Merrimack, right, from the Civil War, from the American Civil War. Um, but so the USS monitor, instead of having a cloaking device, what it had was a mic- micro diffracted carbon uh, painting, like a, like a coat of micro diffracted carbon, which made it which uh, the carbon would absorb all visible radiation that fell upon the ship. So it, it looked like the ship was just black as black as night, black as space. So like you effectively couldn't see it, but it wasn't actually a cloaking device. You just really couldn't see it. And that would probably fuck with some sensors, uh, you know, because some sensors would be based upon radiation. Um, that was really cool. It also, they ended up like putting a transwarp drive in it and everything. I mean, once again, it's the, the defying class getting hot rotted, which, uh, which is what I love about it. But yeah, I really love the USS monitor in the book, the return, they ended up temporarily renaming it to the USS enterprise, uh, you know, NCC 1701 E before we knew what the NCC 1701 E would be, you know, but this is before first contact came out. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just such a cool ship and it does such a great job, like against the Borg in the book and everything else that it comes encountered with. Uh, I love the USS monitor specifically the way that they talk about it and more so than the defiant that, that we know of from D space nine, even though I love that ship too. Uh, but the USS Monitor, like I, I, that idea of it just being like all black, I just think that's so slick. Uh, I mean, really, really, really slick. Uh, it's definitely something, you know, that whole, you know, micro diffracted, diffracted carbon uh, paint job is something I'm probably going to implement in Forbidden Frontiers somehow, even though Star Trek Forbidden Frontiers takes place in the 23rd century. Um Instead of the 24th. So, yeah, got, got to give it to the USS Monitor. Such a cool ship. Um, and it actually makes like it comes back. It's not just in the return. Shatner uses it again. And I think eventually it does get destroyed, if I remember correctly. But uh, but there it is. OK, so there's my top eight. I'll recover it quickly. Uh, the Wells class, of course, the USS Relativity, the NX class, which everybody remembers is the NX-01 from Star Trek Enterprise, particularly the refit that Doug Drexler did. Like I said, you want to look that up if you've never seen it. Um, the Bajoran light ship from uh, D Space Nine, the episode Explorers, uh, which I just love, and then the Constitution class, and particularly its refit um, that we would experience in the movies and that the NCC 1701A would be. Uh, the Burrell class, Bird of Prey, the smaller one, even though the bigger ones, I mean, it's all the same design. It looks beautiful. Uh, the Valkyrie class fighters from Star Trek Invasion, and then the Runabout from D Space Nine, the Danube class, and then we have uh, the Defiant, or the USS Monitor, which is a Defiant class ship, but doesn't have the cloaking device. Instead, has you know the micro diffracted carbon plating or uh, a painting on it, uh, along with other stuff. You know, transwarp drive and all these crazy weapons and everything is really cool. So there's my there's my top eight. But why don't I give you? Let's give a little bonus here, okay? And this will round it up to ten. Give you a little bonus. Stephanie and Ellen's favorite ship. So I'll tell you Stephanie's first. Stephanie's is actually the Defiant. Okay, so she loved, and specifically, I think, the Defiant, and I'll explain why. 
so I asked her, she's like, oh yeah, I love the Defiant. Yeah, well, first off, she said, she's like, yeah, I don't pay that much attention to the design so much and everything, which I get it. I mean, that's that's more, you know, that's something I've had a love affair with. <laughs> it's the design of these ships. That's why I can do a top eight about them. Um, but I totally understand that. So, but she loved the Defiant and, and her reasoning where she, she loves that it has a cloaking device, which man, that's a conversation that, th- those are such classic conversations that we would have at conventions back in the day is, you know, the Treaty of Eldron, right? Like, why can't Starfleet ships have cloaking devices? This is stupid. You know, in in the episode Pegasus, uh, which that ship could have made it, the actual USS Pegasus, they had the um, uh, they had the phase cloak on it. Okay, uh, that episode of the Next Generation, where you know Admiral was it Pressman? Admiral Pressman is saying, you know, we've been behind the times for so long, all because of a stupid treaty. You know, why don't we? You know, our our enemies have a tactical advantage. Why don't Why don't we have cloaking devices? And they ended up putting a uh, cloaking device on, um, you know, a, a ship of what is it, the Oberth class, like the USS Grissom from uh, from Star Trek Three. I love those ships too because that's another one where it looks very different from anything else that Starfleet does. Uh, really, really dig the Oberth class. But anyway, you know that that had the phase cloak and everything. Like, and that would be the argument that we'd always have. And I was always on the side. Yeah, well, fuck. Of course, Starfleet should have cloaking devices. What the hell? So Stephanie obviously feels the same way. So she loves the Defiant, the fact that it has a cloaking device. And again, we don't exactly know that all Defiant class ships would have cloaking devices. So we're specifically talking about the USS Defiant. Um, and she even she said a term because it was late at night when she was telling me about it. And Stephanie says she goes, it's Slexy. And I was like, Slexy. And then that, and then she like she, what she meant to say was she was going to say it's slick and she was going to say it's sexy, and so she put the two terms together and she ended up just saying slexy. And I was like, whoa, that's brilliant! I mean, she's she's brilliant anyway. She comes up with all these great terms all the time, like PPA, right? You know, uh, which we talked about in episode two seventy eight, which is your peaceful uh, privacy arsenal. But uh, yes, yeah, slexy. <laughs> so she said it's slexy. I agree. It is. It's a sexy looking ship. It looks very different from the rest of Starfleet ships. Um, it is slick. Like, you know, kind of that that it's kind of like the NX-01 where it has this very smooth, like one layer design where it's not like a bunch of different, you know, a primary hall, secondary hall and all that. Um, very maneuverable. Of course, you can think of like how it was flying in Star Trek First Contact, the beginning of that, or even in um, some episodes of Deep Space Nine where it's like just maneuvering and flying through ships and everything. I mean, just just crazy maneuverable. And that that leads to what I think might be one of the other reasons that uh, that Stephanie likes the Defiant particularly is who's always sleeping on the Defiant, whose quarters are on the Defiant. Worf and Stephanie loves Worf. <laughs> So, and, you know, having, having the the Klingon in charge of that ship, I mean, that's, that definitely does something for you. And again, just think of, you know, Star Trek First Contact. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, her, her, when, I, you know, when I kept asking her, I was like, is there anything else you want to say about it? She just said, you know, about the Defiant, she said, it's transgressive. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> I mean, it is a badass ship. There's no doubt about that. The Defiant class in general is badass. The USS Defiant itself is really badass. Um, just like the USS Monitor that I mentioned before. Um, so it's a great pick. It's a totally solid pick. I remember the the D Space Nine technical manual that came out in the 90s. I read the shit out of that, and most of the time I was reading about the Defiant and everything that that could do because it's so damn cool. Uh, so that's a great choice. But uh, anyway, let's get on to, let, let's move on to the last pick here. And, of course, this one is coming from Ellen, and here we go. 
So when I asked Ellen about it, she actually said, she's like, well, does a space station count? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, definitely. Sure. What the hell? You know, uh, there's some space stations that I love within Star Trek history, uh, including ones in books like Vanguard and all that. Or the uh, was it the K7 station from Trouble with Tribbles? I think that's really beautiful. I've been half tempted at times to get models of that. Uh, but um, and of course, that also appeared in Trials and Tribulations, and it was, I think it was also referenced in an episode of Discovery, that particular station, like Deep Space, Deep, Deep Space K7 or something like that was, was the name of it. Anyway, um, yeah, Space Station counts all the way, so initially she wanted to go to the Space Station, but I'll save that. I'll t- well, no, no, you know what? I will tell you about that pick. So, um, because ironically, like... <laughs> She picked D Space Nine and she loved it. Part of the reason she loved it was because of the USS Defiant, which, uh, you know, she said allowed them to do a little spacefaring here and there, uh, which agreed like the runabout. You know, it's just it's kind of funny. So that this was D Space Nine was a major part of all of our picks. Like Stephanie's favorite ship was the USS Defiant. Um, one of my top ships is the runabout. And, you know, Ellen loved the station itself. So that that's kind of. <laughs> Between the three of us, we all ended up picking pretty much Deep Space Nine, which I think is is, is cute. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, she says, you know, her, her her exact words on the matter is that DS9 is the perfect location. Um, I'd say wormhole to another part of the universe, which houses non non-corporeal aliens, brings novelty and variety as far as adventuring goes and has amazing defensive systems. All true. Uh, Stanley breaking in there. Uh, though it doesn't travel except around Bajor, there are constant visitors and travelers from all parts of space that bring vibrancy to it. And of course, it wouldn't be complete without the USS Defiant to allow for a little spacefaring. So that's a great pick. I mean, D Space Nine, I have a little model of D Space Nine up above me. Uh, definitely. I mean, one of the like uh, Stephanie actually talked about this when we did the Star Trek update um, where we did the top three episodes of D Space Nine, where like she really loved, she just loved the design of the station, and she even loved the episode that was about, uh, or the I think there's a couple of them about Empoknor, which was the sister station to uh, to D Space Nine. Uh, so that I mean, totally a, a great pick, you know. And there's so much to like about D Space Nine, kind of the the frontier aspect of it, as Doctor Bashir would say. Um, I, I I think that's a great pick, uh, you know, on on Ellen's part all the way. And it's true. I think with, you know, setting like matters with a space station, right? Because it's not really going to go anywhere other than, yes, Deep Space Nine did move kind of, you know, closer to the wormhole to the Denorius belt than it uh, than it was originally to Bajor. So it did, you know, kind of move. It could move around that area a little bit. Um, so the area matters. And I mean, yeah, having the, you know, having the Bajoran wormhole there and Bajor there. I mean, that's all I don't know. That's all pretty cool. I mean, and, and those are important factors when considering yeah, I should have thought about that. I should have thought of fucking star bases because, you know, I'll tell you something that would have made that that could have, if I thought about star bases, I might have put Yorktown Station on this list because that is when you're watching Star Trek Beyond and the Yorktown Station, you know, when you do that big sweep and Michael Giacchino's music comes on, that is one of the most beautiful, epic fucking moments in Star Trek history. I love it when that happens. I mean, Yorktown Station was so stunning. I mean, it looked, it didn't look, well, from the outside, it looks very futuristic, right? You know, the way people are dressed and all this other stuff, it didn't feel as futuristic as, say, you know, stuff that was done, you know, like with, uh, I don't know, any show that took place in the 24th century or in the original series itself. But Yorktown Station was absolutely stunning. And, oh, shit, you know, now that gets me, God damn it. The Franklin. I love the USS Franklin from from beyond. That should be on this list. That really should be on this list. I love that thing for a bunch of reasons. One is, is that it exists like it's a new starship that exists in both timelines, Prime and Kelvin. Um, 
And also, like, I, I just I kind of like the the fact that it's technically older than even the NX class, right? Because it was the first warp four ship as to where the NX class was the first warp five ship. God damn it. This is so, see what I mean? This is so tough to pick all this stuff. <laughs> there's so many awesome, there's, there's so many badass ships and I'm not even getting like half of the alien ones that are really cool. Like I love the Gorn ship. Now that they finally have one of those um, in the episode arena from the original series, when they did the enhanced editions of the original series, uh, they, they're like, okay, well, we get to actually put in a Gorn starship now because we're updating the special effects and everything. And I, I actually have a model of the Gorn ship right next to me. It, it, it's beautiful. Man, there's so many. It's it's tough to do a top eight. It really is. <laughs> so while I'm doing bonuses, I guess I'm tossing out bonuses. But let me get let me give you one more bonus. So because at first I, I think Ellen thought that, well, you know, OK, I can't choose a space station if I have to choose a starship. She says she would go with the uh, the Enterprise NCC 1701D. Uh, the ability to split into a saucer and star drive sections is an amazingly nimble adaptation that is also unique to this ship as far as I know. Um, also, it looks spacious and suave as fuck. Yes, <laughs> I agree. You know, I, I got to admit, me personally, like I, I, I get the point. And as far as the saucer separation, I don't think we've ever seen where another ship really does that. You know, like it looked like there were parts of Voyager that could do that. But Voyager's big trick was that it could actually land on a planet. Right. Um, and there was in. So if you watch Star Trek continues in that, you find out that the original Constitution class in the very last episode, spoiler alert, um, that the Constitution class could actually do that. And I think there was a book, too. Was it Prime Directive? Or it might have been Prime Directive where they they came where they they put that in that the saucer section on the Constitution class could like blow off the the neck of the uh, of the secondary hall, but I I think like those aren't canon so so I think she's right you know that that yeah that's more or less the only one we've ever really seen do that. Uh, in fact, I would argue the Sovereign class probably can't do it because or I mean. I mean, even even the galaxy class stopped doing it, right? <laughs> because for budget reasons or whatever else. Uh, but like the Sovereign class, which was the Enterprise E, you know, whenever they ran into trouble, they just started to, you know, get to your escape pods, right? <laughs> get the hell out. Or they take the captain's yacht or something like that. I mean, they never, ever talked about saucer separation. Um, that's not being a thing, which is a shame because I think it's actually a really cool feature. Like, especially when you consider best of both worlds. Like a ship that could have made this. Uh, made this list as well is the USS Prometheus. Uh, another one I've got a model of. <laughs> uh, that, that one's actually hard to find, that model. But uh, the Prometheus, you know, could split into what, like four ships? You know, and I mean, it turns into its own little fleet. And the Prometheus is at the time, you know, during the time of Voyager, uh, I think was the most advanced starship in Starfleet. Uh, and I mean, it's a really, really cool ship, but that ability, like you saw in Best of Both Worlds at the Borg, where, you know, the saucer uh, section could separate from the star drive section and then you could, you know, kind of attack from two vectors. Like a lot of those things are really, really cool. Um, yeah, the Galaxy class overall. I mean, so, you know, there used to be a joke back in the 90s that they, they used to call it like the Radisson in space. OK, because it looked so it looked like even on the on the outside, it looked very swank and curvy and they thought it looked like a flying hotel. That used to be kind of the running joke as compared to the more rough and tumble, perhaps, uh, of the, uh, you know, like the the one seven away, you know, like the Constitution class or the Constitution class refit. Um, 
Yeah, like the outside of the Enterprise D. I mean, it it is very like svelte, right? I mean, like it does have very smooth lines. Um, in fact, there is a particular version I'm going to talk about in a second that I I really really like. But, um, but I'll get into that in a second. But the inter- the interior. Now, if we were to choose ships just on the interior, I'd probably go with uh, you know with Ellen's picks here pick here because the interior of the one seven zero one D is awesome. Like it is so beautiful, and I mean you just. You just want to relax and do all kinds of other things. <laughs> I mean, inside there, it, it's really, you know, you go in those quarters. Oh, my God, it's so hot. Uh, but, yeah, suave, spacious and suave as fuck. That, that, is, that is definitely the way to, to call it. I, I, I love that, that description that Helen gave. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I, I totally understand the Galaxy class. In fact, one thing I liked about the Galaxy class, so when you had, like, the technical manual back in the 90s, you would... I mentioned earlier, you would look um, at the end of it, like the kind of clo- the conclusion of the technical manual talked about how it the galaxy class ships were actually designed to last for like 100 years, which is pretty awesome to think about. And you're like, oh, well, what's it going to look like in 100 years? You know, what updates are they going to do? Like they talk about throughout the entire technical manual, how they would you could change bridge modules, you could change all these different modules on it, you know, and find out what it would look like. Um, and in all good things, we finally got a hint of what exactly that could mean. And in the all good things, which is the last episode of Star Trek, the next generation, you get a look at a potential future Enterprise D that is uh, the flagship of Admiral William T. Riker, Admiral William T. Riker. And this thing is fucking badass. <laughs> It has a cloaking device. It can, what, Riker says warp 13 or whatever, even though I know there's questions about the warp scale when you get to, like, warp 10. Um, it has the third nacelle, and it has that giant fucking phaser uh, underneath the saucer section, which makes it look like it can't actually do saucer separation anymore. But, man, so, now, this there was a, a game that came out, boy, probably, like, 15 years ago, something like that. Maybe it was, maybe it was less than that. There was a game called Birth of the Federation. Pretty, It's an okay game. In that they called, you can actually build, um, you can build the, you know, like the galaxy class starship with the three nacelles and the extra guns. And like it even, I mean, it's not just that, like I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm looking at the model here. I got a couple days ago of, of the, the future Enterprise D and it has like these. And, and the reason that I got it, because I love the fact that in the uh, next generation uh, mirror broken series or in the mirror of universe of the next generation, the enterprise D in that is actually the, you know, is the three nacelle type, but they just use that design, which I think is great to, to finally reuse that. But it has like little wings kind of coming down from the, uh, from the main nacelle pylons and everything. I mean, there's, there's a lot of little hints uh, done to it that are, that are just great details. And I think it, for me, you know, for all those people that joked about the Radisson in space, I think once you add it on like that giant phaser on the bottom, you add it in, I add it on like kind of almost like they're almost like spoilers uh, <laughs> you know, on the nacelles and you add it in that third nacelle and everything. I mean, that ship, it, it turns into a like a juggernaut, you know, I mean, just a massive, massive ship. Now, in the game Birth of, Fe- Birth of the Federation, you can build one of these and they end, what they call it in that they call it a Galaxy X class. So it's not just Galaxy class, but a Galaxy X class battlecruiser. Um, and I and that has become a very popular name for it. So when people are talking about the future Enterprise D, a lot of people will just say the Galaxy X class. And that way, when they say the X, you know what they're talking about. You're talking about the three nacelled, um, you know, the three nacelled Galaxy class and the Galaxy X class. 
I, I mean, could have easily made my list, you know, uh, I didn't have it make my list because, you know, Ellen picked it. So what the hell, you know, I'll, I'll let her run with it. Um, but I'll add in the X class, the galaxy X class, because it, I mean, it, the thing just looks so tough and looks so serious. And, you know, when, when you watch all good things and you have like that Klingon fleet that comes and I mean, inside of like eight shots from that big phaser, I mean, it's instantaneously cutting through the Klingon shields. It's cutting through uh, the hull of the Klingon battlecruisers and everything. I mean, it's just blasting right through. And it de- I mean, as soon as the Enterprise DD cloaks, you know, I remember when I saw that what was that like a 94. I'm 13 years old. And when the Enterprise DD cloaks and it has and you knew it was the Enterprise D, I mean, right instantaneously, you knew that that's what they were bringing in even though it looks different, you know, and it has the third nacelle and it's decloaking. I mean, my jaw, my 13-year-old jaw is just like, what the fuck? You know, like, that was so awesome. You know, I mean, talk about the cavalry, you know, the cavalry coming in, right? Holy shit. That's so cool. <laughs> it was really, that, that was something. And, and that's when you love, when you really give some love to that Galaxy class. Uh, but yeah, a great choice. And, and like I said, the interior of the Galaxy class, I think, is unmatched. I think when you instant, when you think Star Trek, most people today instantly think of the interior of the Galaxy class, and with good reason. It set the tone. It set the tone for what life is like in the 24th century. It really did, and it's beautiful. And, and you know, like Ellen said, it's suave as fuck, right? So... <laughs> I mean, just awesome. So, yeah, definitely the Galaxy class is, a, you know, or the NCC 1701D is a great pick. Um, I even, even though we get, didn't get to spend, you know, as far as with the movies and everything, we didn't, didn't get to spend a whole ton of time with the Enterprise E. I don't know. Like, it's cool, but it feels a little too much like the Excelsior, like a cross between the Excelsior and Voyager. And I don't know. It, it didn't seem distinctive enough. I mean, you know that it's huge, right? But and, and and the bridge didn't seem as comfy, you know, as to where on on the Galaxy class on the 1701D, like the bridge, you know, I mean, you're, you could lean back in those chairs. I mean, how many porn, you know, how many porn movies, uh, porn parodies of the next generation have we watched where like, you know, Troy and Crusher or whatever, you know, like they're they're fucking right on the bridge and those beautiful leather seats. And it just looks like it's made to fuck on. Yeah, I mean, you could totally get your fuck on in, inside the the one seven zero one D. I mean, yeah, that interior design is I I have to agree. My personal opinion is unmatched. Like I said earlier, if we were to base the top eight on interior design of starships, the the one seven zero one D would would be my number one pick in a heartbeat too. Uh, I mean, just absolutely like it's it, it's so hot in there. I mean, it's just just swank, you know. <laughs> Use that word again, uh, but. Anyway, great picks uh, all the way around. Um, so let's wrap this up. Uh, there is your Sovereign Top 8 with a few bonuses. I mean, there's always got to be a few bonuses, right? A little bonus mention here and there. Um, and you've got another uh, Top 8 ships, as it were, uh, coming out this month. You'll have the Star Wars picks um, coming out. And maybe I'll get the picks from, we'll see who I can get the picks from as far as Star Wars ships go. In fact, if you've got a pick, you can you can comment under this sound and I'll mention it when I find when I do the Star Wars uh, top eight uh, starships and then I'll I'll bring it up um, when I record that episode. So and woo, but man, oh, 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 and very soon I will be seeing solo a Star Wars story. Can't wait to do that. I'm going to be doing just the best people in the world. It's going to it's going to be awesome. So. All right. Uh, but hey, what, what, what am I doing? We're talking about Star Trek here. Fuck's sake. Let, can't can't Star Trek just have its day? Well, it always has its day with me because guess what, folks? And I know not everybody agrees with me, but Star Trek is objectively better than Star Wars. Woo! I will see all of you on the other side. (laughs) 